0: Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit Acquire'sFunds.com.
1: Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. And we are live. It's, as always, 1.30 p.m. <laughs> Eastern, 12.30 p.m. where Bill is, 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast. 5.30 UTC. Got zero eyeballs. <laughs>
0: That's all right. That's about what we deserve.
1: I always like to just give a minute for everybody to check in. Here we go. First eyeball in. What's happening, right fellas?
0: Off. What's happening? I don't know. A bunch of confusion. What's happening over there?
1: Illinois. In the house.
0: <laughs> I'm Illinois. Yeah, did you post yourself?
2: I did. <laughs> no, okay. would have been
0: funny, though.
1: Toronto.
2: Yeah, not much going on except for, uh, you know, unhinged markets. This market. Although, Toby, you you called it. You said there's got to be, you said in March, there's got to be one big more blow-off. I've been talking about the melt-up since
0: we started this, motherfucker. (laughs) Come on now. All right, both of you. Get credit. All right. Thank you. I'm not even sure we're in it. We're getting close, though
1: yeah get that retail <laughs> participation. Somebody asked me about that. I don't know where Jeremy Grantham said it. i think j q was saying that retail participation was the last leg
2: the last box to
0: check of the bubble criteria.
1: We've got it now. Wow. be careful what you be wish for
0: like, I'm gonna be like real dumb here, but like I don't know that Grantham is who I'm gonna go to for the for the bubble talk, although he is the go to bubble guy, so a little bit arbitrary, I- right. Who am I? He's just... He's been... They've been wrong for a long time. I don't know. Uh, they're but always again, wrong for a while, though, on before they're right. Yeah, it's been a while.
1: If you're a disciplined value guy, that's what happens.
0: I guess... Look, I think that there's a difference between... I mean, I was with a disciplined value shop. They underperformed for, like, five years. That cost me a lot of wealth. So, you know, like, is that is that being disciplined or is that just wrong I'd argue after that long it's sort of just wrong that sucks i mean you know but i'd say the same thing to myself eventually you've sort of got to say what's going on here
1: so what what and, what do you propose that people do in that like say you've got you've got a discipline right that you're following and for whatever reason you know that it periodically underperforms and so at the time that it's underperforming what do you do you abandon it and you go you become like a okay. growthy value uh, guy
0: no, that's hand. Hand. I, I would say the thing that I was most upset with, with how that relationship went is a significant reason that they underperformed is they never put cash out the door. And I think that when you, when you allocate to an equity manager, you're not necessarily allocating to that person to make cash decisions on your behalf. So they were comfortable buying things at certain prices. And then when they went lower, they wouldn't buy more because of portfolio construction issues. And meanwhile, cash drag was just like assholing me. And I was asking them if you're wrong, then sell, but if you're right, then let's buy more. And that's sort of where, that's where my beef came with that particular relationship. I mean, I know I, I don't think that you abandon your strategy. I think that's a very foolish game, but I, I do think that that particular, my beef with that is different. And I think that GMO, has made tactical asset allocation decisions and been wrong for a while. Uh, now, whether or not they're wrong over 100 years, I don't know. But like, I, ju- I think that their 1Q um, letter that I read last night, I think they said there's something like 22% equities. I mean, that's a really bold call. Um, it might work, but that's like not, I don't know. You run in a lot of risk, a lot. Half that's in timbers yeah and like phosphate they kind of stopped stuff. talking about that didn't they
2: i remember the timber was like one of the things they actually showed on the little projected uh you know seven year and that sort of went away
0: yeah yeah and like is I, it I,
2: gone big, do they protor- take it off i don't i don't think it's there anymore at least last couple is it of that I've bad
1: at. or it's not an asset class anymore it's too bombed yeah, out i don't
0: know maybe Whose intro is it? Like, who the hell am I? I'm just some schmuck on a podcast and they're like GMO. But at the same time, you know, Goliaths can fall at times too.
1: That's true. Mm. It's an interesting line of inquiry and I think we should continue on with it. I just don't want to be one of those like uh, Netflix shows where the intro comes like after 20 minutes into the show.
0: Welcome to Value After Hours. I'm your host Bill Brewster, with my co-host Tobias Carlisle and the esteemed Jake Taylor. Toby, what are you going to be talking about today?
1: Yeah, it's a real struggle to find to figure out what I want to talk about. Uh, value getting absolutely shellacked, getting bombed out at the moment. Uh, Buffett bought something, so that's nice. Tesla up fifty percent in the last five sessions to the moon. There's a lot of those uh, didier sawnet waves out there. Shopify's got one too. Everything's going vertical. Uh, nothing that I own's doing that, but uh, it's interesting to it's interesting to watch it.
0: <laughs> it's like being a Bears fan and watching the Packers destroy you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Jake, what are you gonna be talking about? I have uh, I did a little bit of homework. I'm showing up with
2: how will you measure your life, which is a a nice little article from Clayton Christensen. So
0: nice uh how about you bill what you got i don't know i've been thinking a lot about financials lately i guess we'll probably talk about that it's i'm more confused than i've been since probably Mayish. so we'll see uh right after this jake you want to talk about living a good life first like let's well, get this thing lots off of, on a... lots
1: of people tuning in for the for the veggies
0: yeah all right let's give it to them All right. We can go first. Uh, investing podcast, learn life. It's basically a Berkshire meeting. Let's do this. (laughs) That's right. So, uh,
2: the first thing is I'll, how this came up was I'll give you guys like a little hack that I do. You, You know how you read an article or, uh, you know, maybe a blog post or even sometimes a book where you're like, God, that was really good. And I know I should probably read that again at some point. Um, and then you put it on the shelf and you kind of forget about it. And then maybe like 10 years later, you come back and you see it and you're like, oh, I probably should have been reading that like two or three times in the interim, right? Well, what I started doing was I'll make an actual like calendar uh, appointment for myself with a, it'll just say like, read this. And I have this particular article set to pop up every six months, I think. Um, Cause it, you know, it's a two, you know, five minute article to read. Uh, and it just is a really nice way of sort of like regrounding what's important in life. Uh, so without further ado on that, uh, this is, it's a Harvard business review from 2010 article, uh, by Clayton Christensen, who's, you know, popularized a lot of work on disruption, um, which maybe we'll get into more disruption stuff talk later when we talk about some of these <laughs> things that are happening. But, um, so what's really nice about this is that, uh, he wrote this towards the end of his life actually uh i don't know if he knew it at the time but uh he probably kind of knew but um so he asked himself there he's talking to all of his students because he taught at, at harvard for a long time and one of the he asked them three questions number one is how can you be sure that you end up happy in your career number two was how can you be sure that the relationships with your spouse and family are enduring sources of happiness for you and number three was how can you be sure that you stay out of jail and Mm -hmm. like you know everyone thinks he was joking about that but he had like skilling was a a classmate of his at at HBS um so it's a very real thing like there were multiple guys that he went to school with that he said were good guys in school that ended up in jail and so you can Hmm. somehow find yourself there even if you never had that intention right so um He's talking about how the most powerful motivator for people isn't money. It's, it's the opportunity to learn, to grow in responsibilities, contribute to others and be recognized for your achievements. And he's, he said when he thinks about that, that, you know, you have, you have to look for that in your own career, but then also your ability to give that to others by being a manager is actually like a huge opportunity for you to do great good in the world. Um, so, Here's a great story that he has. Uh, so he was in the the Rhodes program at at Oxford, uh, and he spent one hour per night thinking about and praying, actually, uh, why to figure out why was he put on Earth. And he spent hour after hour every day thinking about that, in like basically meditating on that. And what he said was that that was the the single most useful thing that he, he ever learned. And that it kept paying him back multiple times over the rest of his life, um, as opposed to if he could have taken that one hour and learned some, he says like some new econometric technique, uh, like he would have used that maybe like two times the rest of his life. But he spent that hour paid back every every hour that he spent every night paid like for the rest of his life. Um, so, and he says like how you allocate your time, energy, and talent will shape your life strategy. So. I found that to be a really interesting idea, like you, that we all have sort of strategies, uh, that are, that our life can unfold from just like a business. Um, so he says, if you have a high need for achievement, it's most likely going to be directed into your career because the feedback loop is the closest there. You know, you get the promotion, you get the pay raise, you get recognized, um, you get to feel like you're making a big difference, but the, that tends to then people underinvest in their family. And because it's a longer time horizon on those things, like you can't, you know, the, the time the kid's 20 years old, you realize you did a good job or not, right? But all along the way, it's sort of hard to get that same feedback as opposed to in your career where it's a closer, closer feedback loop. Um, he says that all families have cultures just like companies and eventually the power tools of coercion and threat and punishment that can work in a hierarchy in a business uh, Will not work on a teenager. Uh, so you have to work on your culture the whole time while they're young, so that uh, everyone's sort of on the same page. Like, how do they respond to problems? That's sort of what a culture is. Um, and then maybe the most interesting thing, and in he's he talks about how marginal cost thinking will lead you down paths that I- end up getting you in trouble often. And you know, it when you have this sort of idea, like that the marginal cost of this action. You know, these, there's extenuating circumstances. I'm only going to do it this one time, right? Like that then is this becomes this slippery slope that then turns into that's how you end up in jail, right? So he gives a story about how he played basketball while he was in at Oxford. And you, you may not know this, but he was like six foot eight. And he was like their starting center. And they went undefeated. And they're in the, the, the British equivalent of the NCAA tournament. And they get to the championship game. And it's it's on a Sunday and he's taken an oath to basically, he won't play ball on Sundays because it's for religious reasons. And he goes to tell the coach like, Hey, I have a problem. Like I can't play in the championship game. And the coach like is like, well, you surely you can bend the rule for just this one time. Right. And all of his teammates are like, oh, we need you. You're our starting center, right? This is the championship game. He doesn't play. Right. So what he says is that he's found that Uh, it's much easier to hold your principles if you commit to a hundred percent than to allowing 98%. Uh, And I bet that that while at the time felt very painful and felt like the wrong decision, I bet that that paid for itself lots and lots of times throughout his life later when he, he could fall back on those principles. Um, So one of the things he said was that after he was diagnosed with cancer, he, which ended up uh, killing him eventually, he, he said that uh you know he's written all these books and like pioneered a lot of research on on disruption and he said he doesn't care about any of that like it meant nothing to him when he was kind of on death's door he what he realized was it was the impact of working with people that the you know the 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 changes that he made in people's lives that really was the only thing that he cared about so i guess the important thing for us is to think about you know especially like trying market times, like when we're probably going to be lamenting through here for the next 45 minutes. Uh, (laughs) You know, there's there's bigger games here than just that. Um, And that, you know, maybe maybe if it's a rough patch, don't overinvest in that with your energy and your mental capabilities and your uh, like maybe spend a little bit more time with your family now and look at this as a gift to open up the time to do it. Uh, If the market's giving you nothing but confusing, you know, sliders in the dirt, maybe take the bat off your shoulder and you know go take your kid for a walk instead and uh come back later and maybe you'll get some pitches more to your liking so trying to draw that back into investing a little bit but i thought i thought wow that's that's a good message for me to just go read every six months or so take five minutes refresh the brain a little bit put that back into the ram and uh and then go back to go back to life
1: so what what do you what do you uh practically what do you do having read that
2: that's none of your business (laughs) uh uh, i think for me it's just more of a mindset shift of you know what don't stress so much about some of these things like it'll it's gonna come around like this you shall pass uh go enjoy a little bit more time with your family right now um and not have and not feel like that that's the only one game that matters necessarily
1: I like that. I did the same thing except I watched the movie A Good Year because my wife loves it. I've watched it so many times, but only because she... I've basically got it memorized because she wants to watch it. So every now and again, I put that on because it's, uh, it's the escape fantasy. The guy you know, goes to the French vineyard, decides that he's not going to be a traitor in the city anymore. It'd be nice to inherit a French vineyard and not have to do that. But if, if you don't have that, the equivalent, I guess, is uh, spending a little bit more time with the family, remembering there's stuff outside
2: yeah get outside get in nature get uh get refreshed and you'll probably have a fresh take on what the world looks like when you get back either it changed or or you changed i, well,
1: I also like the systematization if you do something yeah, everything you do should be like on an infinite uh you should be doing it infinitely you should be something that you, it's repeatable and you should do it over and over again and if the if it's an exercise that you do infinitely and it leads to ruin, then it doesn't work because you never know if the next one you next one could be the time it leads to ruin. So you need to find things that, done infinitely, put you in a better position.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's. Uh, I think our our very smart friend Dan Bill would call that uh,
0: variance drain, right?
1: Yeah, what's that?
0: You want to reduce the amount of uh, when you have hiccups. You want to reduce the size of the hiccup uh, as much as humanly possible, right? Like you don't want big. You want to avoid big down drawdowns in any facet of life. Uh, the the less that you can go down, the the greater the probability that you increase at a fairly steady state over time.
2: Even if right? it means so truncating think- some of your upside yeah uh you know narrowing the range of outcomes a little bit can make a big difference
0: fuck man i should have called him in march he has such good ideas on like positions he's just smarter than me (laughs) that's the problem but like there was some stuff that i probably should have had you know option size positions that uh but i don't know it goes back to what you're talking about i mean don't sacrifice on your principles i i don't know how to have option size positions but also try to have a high enough hurdle that's that not everything gets through so uh at some point you're just an in index fund if you do it that way i digress well
1: you can weight more heavily to the ones that you have more conviction in. you just have a few one percenters
0: yeah i just don't know that that's right for my personality uh i don't disagree with that at all i just think i might get a little bit too loose if i was okay with that too often
1: i like uh one percenters that pay off in like a quarter so you either right or you're wrong in a quarter and then you just move on not currently but in the past that's what i've done just you're going to make the decision in the short term because it's it's more random in the short term it's random but if you've got this if you've got a view and you want to express it and you just want to see short term one percent yeah
0: well, the two I complain about, I mean, Restoration Hardware and Eldorado Resorts. I mean, I held Eldorado Resorts for like two days at nine, and I'm pretty sure it's at 50 now, so that hurts. But, you know, I didn't think they'd have the liquidity, so I probably shouldn't have bought it in the first place. If you can't sleep with it for two nights, you probably shouldn't have owned it. That's probably <laughs> rule number one. But is this whatever. dating advice now? Or <laughs> That's right. Rent it, don't own it. He
1: hey, who wants to uh you, you you want to do it, bill?
0: What do I what, what, what am I doing? Your topic. Oh, yeah, I'll do my topic. Uh I don't know. I just like I've been on this financials deep dive because I just sort of look at where they're all trading and you know, this is I feel like I'm uh I'm looking back in waters that uh I narrowly escaped from. But, you know, the valuations are a whole lot lower than they were and I, you know I just I look at there's a bunch of entities I mean I don't even care which one you look at Uh, like Ally is one that I'm not like super familiar with but um, my general idea of that story is they were spun out of uh, GM created like an online bank for deposits it's a quasi like internet bank now with the the car loan sort of uh, legacy product feeding a lot of its current cash flow and then they're using that cash flow to invest in the online bank it's growing like crazy i think it's trading somewhere between like 0.55 and 0.6 times book as a quick correction the united mileage plus thing went out at six percent if you hear me say a number on the podcast numbers are not my strong suit off the top of my head i am not buffett so check my numbers my my general like competitive stuff that's what i spend most of my time focused on so if i'm wrong on that i actually thought about it and i'm just wrong if i miss a number that's a brain problem not a not you know and this is all entertainment none of this is investing advice but uh anyway so like allies sort of interesting schwab is like a steamroller gathering assets uh the td ameritrade deal i think is super smart they signed this deal with usaa usaa happens to be like a military or focused organization i suspect i have no idea but i bet the military like is a loyal customer base it would make sense to me that like it's a good partnership usaa is going to refer schwab uh, a lot of their you know like wealth management or like relationships in that realm. That business I think is something like 90% funded by deposits. You've got like a small section of preferred shares that I think are like yielding seven-ish percent. I, I mean, when you're 90% deposits and you're buying residential mortgage backed securities, I don't know, are we gonna get to a world where mortgages are one and a half percent like maybe. But, uh, I mean, in that world, like, who else can actually survive, right? It it seems to me that with no trading fees, it's a scale game, and they're stepping on a scale advantage the exact way that I would want them to. Um, I don't know. Then you got, like, Wells, which I know is a total shitbox, but, like, it generates roughly... 15 billion dollars of net income a year over the last 12 years. it's swallowed it's gone through the global financial crisis, swallowed wachovia lived through uh, a pretty strict regulatory regime in the Obama administration. Uh, survived Bodhi Ghost town came at well came out <laughs> then then they had the account scandal. then they were run by a CEO that wasn't a banker. their efficiency ratio is completely out of whack. And they're still trading at like a mid-team cash flow, like if you normalize it. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's an unownable asset. But I just look at some of the other things out there and I'm like, this doesn't fully make sense to me. Now, there's with Wells specifically, I guess the high-level thoughts that I have is like, I think the asset cap has driven them to better relationships within their commercial and industrial business. I don't think that when you have asset restrictions, you're just lending money out the door to everybody. Uh, and then with on, within the consumer side, you're long a lot of real estate. It's pretty strong LTVs. Uh, your FICO scores are pretty good. I guess there's a world where like everything erodes and the loan book is no good and buying it at 0.8 times is a crappy bet. But... My question is, if that's the outcome at Wells, like, how's the rest of the world look? Yeah, and, there's a and, serious disp- mismatch there, right? In... Yeah. Like, you're going to tell me all those businesses are going to go under, and somehow Microsoft is going to go through unscathed? Like, no. They're going to lose a ton of licenses. And yes, they'll start up again, but so will Wells lend again. I mean, unless you think it's a, you know, an idiosyncratic bankruptcy situation or something, like there's just the spread strikes me as uh you know a little bit crazy and i listened to you talk to cliff asness toby and you know it's like this there's just a layering of like what i feel i see what i think retail participation is what what every smart person that's a quant is telling me the disper- the dispersion between growth and value or cheap and expensive, or however you want to slice the quart, or, you know, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, and then like what I just viscerally like feel and see and what I'm going through, it, it just, something doesn't make sense to me here. Uh, it just feels too wide, like, like major leagues, ba- uh, home run too high, too high. <laughs> What do you mean, do I? Can I?
1: Let me let me play devil's advocate because, you know, everybody knows I got a big weighting towards financials and banks and insurers and things like that. And so I get this question a lot. I'm interested in what you think because you got a slightly different approach to me. What if the future, what if we start, what if American banks start looking like European banks?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's possible. I That is why I favor the scale banks rather than the the sort of like like i know somebody that i think is pretty sharp and he plays the regional banks and he plays them on the theory that he thinks that they're going to have to acquire each other to scale up and i think that that's a reasonable strategy but i worry about the amount of tech investments that they're going to need to embark on to make their product relevant and i guess that the the larger american like. J.P. Morgan, for instance, and and Wells with what they lead on the debt side, I just think that there's a lot of fee revenue that might be there that may not exist elsewhere, but I'm also sort of stupid in this area. I, I probably shouldn't have a strong opinion of other banks, but I do think that there's something about American culture that I viscerally feel like we'd probably be able to extract more fees than like Japan, for instance. But that may be wrong. How have Japanese banks fared? Not very well. I'll tell you, though. Actually, from. Yeah, it hasn't been good. But my portfolio, I mean, I have a lot in charter and transdime. So in a world where, like, rates go to zero, like, some value guys are going to hate me because we're going to recap those companies and get huge dividends out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, people are going to be like, but they have so much debt. And I'll be like, let's just keep heaping on more because it costs nothing. So it's sort of like for me, it's like a natural hedge to have uh, some some financial exposure, and like Schwab to me is just one gigantic call option on rates, which may never go up, but if it's not, you sort of like you're bringing in a lot of assets in the meantime. I mean, I know that you're sort of swimming upstream, but uh, I don't know, it's just very intriguing to me.
1: Does the thesis require rates to really pay, or can you kind of get there just on? Schwab doing better and absorbing some of this other stuff.
0: I mean, I don't think that you could not have a scenario where you're investing deposits that cost you zero at less than zero, right? Like that would not work. But yeah, I think if you could get, uh, you know, a 150 to 200 basis point spread over zero, like, yeah, that business could probably work. It's probably, you're probably not going to like get super rich on it. But i don't think your downside is huge
1: i'm a value guy mate i'm not trying to get super rich that's all i'm trying to do avoid the downside
0: but that's what i mean right so like you think about like what's this everybody's questions about schwab and interest rates and where they've been going i mean that's why it's trading where it's trading if interest rates were six that company would be huge so the question is is it at all possible that all this fiscal policy and, you know, all this debt issuance and all that shit actually happens to push rates up someday. Maybe it just creates excess capital and it never happens. But has it ever happened before?
1: Have rates recovered before?
0: Well, I mean, the, uh, my best analog would be the 70s and 80s and like rates went up then. Right. So why would it never happen? But they, again? they weren't that zero.
1: To me. I guess they, they weren't zero. They, they get close to zero in like the 40s or 50s, I think late 40s early 50s that was zero i guess they recovered then but some some might say that was a unique situation because the u.s was the only place in the world that wasn't really bombed out literally
0: i mean i i really have no like uh, my rate idea is no better than anybody else's i guess what i'd say is like they are using deposits to buy five-year it it appears to me five-year arms I mean is a five-year adjustable rate mortgage going to be zero i that's just a hard world for me to fathom and like i said if that's the case i mean charter is going to be worth a lot so will transdine like they your debt stack now costs nothing so okay let's just do it Like that doesn't <laughs> yeah, make I think, sense you know I, I think if you're if you're calculating sort
2: of a range of outcomes based on different variables you know you have you have different ways to win or lose from different scenarios. And, you know, rates go up. Uh, you know, maybe you win with Schwab. Rates go down. Maybe you win with Transdime. Um, I think that's a smart way of doing it. Like you're trying to cover, like placing bets in a way that allows you to not get too tilted in one direction or the other about things that real, literally no one on earth knows the answer to.
0: Yeah, that's my general theory right it's like a natural hedge against uh some leverage in your portfolio also to the listeners if rates go up buffett's gonna make it rain
1: <laughs> he's gonna pay a dividend
0: no no don't get crazy <laughs> <laughs> he's also not gonna buy stock i'm just saying a lot of cash will accumulate in the entity
1: so
2: what what's uh so... what
0: insurance companies look like again i mean yeah I guess that's that's harder though right because when rates are low the underwriting gets harder right and then when rates are high it gets softer right there's sort of like
2: what is like a hurricane doesn't care about rates
0: yeah No, i know but like when rates are high people will underwrite at a loss to get the float to invest the float that i i don't know i don't know yeah i think the the insurance cycle is a little different I don't think it's do necessarily rates driven things are going to go through the roof. If rates really go up subject to default risk, but
1: good one. So what are you looking at? Uh, ally. Sh- yeah, Wells, I mean, I'm, Schwab
0: I'm doing all of them. I'm just sort of interested in figuring out, I, I don't have through. like a strong view. Wells feels too cheap to me. And Schwab feels like a bulldozer that I sort of want to partner with. Uh, Whether or not the cheapness offsets sort of the crap in the entity is another story, but that's the age-old investing question.
1: What about Bank of America or something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like that. So does everybody else, though. Like, I don't know.
1: Not according to the stock price.
0: Yeah, well, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, Moynihan's done a good job. All
1: right, good stuff. Shall we move on to mine? Not really really a huge... uh, uh, topic this time around i'm just noticing that uh value getting absolutely destroyed the spread is as wide as it's ever been uh the growth stuff expensive stuff glamour stuff going absolutely vertical um very tough time to be a long short value investor i gotta tell you it's uh it's unpleasant in the market at the moment uh getting other than
2: that how was the play
1: (laughs) getting punished on both sides of the book is uh that sucks when the market's just going up uh, and I don't know how long it can go on for. Obviously, it can go on for uh, a really long time. It can be really extended. Then again, could just wake up tomorrow and play the Rack 3 as uh, as Taleb used to frame it up. Like, he, you know, Taleb used to say his whole strategy was just you lose a little bit of money every day. Then one day, it's like trying to learn the piano. You can't play chopsticks. You can't play anything. One day you wake up, you can play the Rack 3. I keep on hoping to be able to wake up and play the Rack 3, but it's... Uh, not yet. Not today. Certainly not today. Um, I, I, I talked to Cliff. I was kind of hoping that, so Cliff wrote this paper in, uh, in 1999. He didn't actually ever get around to publishing it because at the time that he wrote it, I think it was, I'm going to slightly mess up the name, but it was like Bubble Economics or something like that. Do you guys know the name of the one that I'm talking about? No. Pretty famous paper. He he, it's public. I mean, it's not it's not formally published, but you can find it everywhere. It's on AQR, it's on SSRN, it's it's all over the place. Basically, just saying that the market was uh, fading. All of these, you know, then like better companies. Uh, Now, not not better companies, but still, they're just way too cheap for where they're trading, and a lot of money was flowing to the to the darlings of the day, and he didn't get to publish it because the the, uh, the market turned around in the interim in like uh, overnight or in the week, however long he had it in with compliance, whatever happened. Uh, I was hoping like like some sort of uh, cargo cultist that uh, if I built my little airport out in the middle of the jungle that I could wave in some some cargo from some planes flying overhead, but it didn't work, <laughs> surprisingly enough.
2: Not yet. You didn't try hard enough. You gotta yeah, got to go back and do it coconuts. again. <laughs>
1: Not sufficiently, not, not 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 similar enough to the uh, to the airport to get it to come in. Bubble logic, thanks, thanks very much.
0: Mm. I I don't know what the paper says, but I feel like there is some bubble logic out there right now because there are a lot of valuations that you say, okay, well, like what does this have to what does this have to look like A for you to make a return on the stock and then B what does the underlying free cash flow have to look like in year 5 or 6 of that stock that is returning you know even like 6 7% from here and like you do the math and there's a long way to go um I've been saying it since the podcast started I'll probably be wrong for <laughs> a while longer but it's like it, it does seem like one of those things that the higher valuations go, the more people are just like, yeah, well, I could see it, and it's like, well, I know you can see it. That's why the valuation is where it is. But like, what's the probability of it actually occurring, and what's the bet priced at, and why is that a bet worth making? I mean, there, you know, there's only one Triple Crown winner. There's not everything can't win. Yeah. It's priced as if
2: uh, disruption is over or post disruption, right? Even though that was what got those guys the valuation. But now we're done. All, you know, RCA in the 20s, that was just a flash in the pan. uh, All the way up through, you know, Microsoft in the 90s to
0: Amazon today, right? The thing that's different about Microsoft is that business – is a hell of a business and it's enterprise focused i like that the most out of all of them from a from a business standpoint amazon i i i like agree with you because i can identify a thousand different ways in their life and i are that they're in my life i can't really articulate to you what they do better other than mindshare which is super important But, like, there are other people that can serve all the needs that Amazon fulfills at this point in my life. And, like, I just don't know. I mean, inertia is a powerful thing. But that distribution, it costs a lot. What if e-commerce is just, like, the next retail? I mean, what if it's just, like, this huge capital-intensive business that everybody just starts eating each other's share? I understand the Internet, like— Of course it's going to be that. That's what— that's what economics
2: is, right? Like, that's, that means progress for all of us as consumers.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, do, I do sort of agree with you. I guess that um, it seems to me that on the internet, the ability to capture attention is more sticky than retail because in retail, you're like driving by it and you see it every day, where the internet is more like uh, habit based. But yes, I, I agree with you.
2: Did, don't you remember being a kid and the like Sears catalog showing up at your house and like dude, you no, couldn't you wait to tear through that and look through like all the toys and stuff?
0: I was sharper image, bro, and also I was too busy looking at my magic cards. <laughs> Shout out to my magic fans, Magic: The <laughs> Gathering. What up? I played a black and a white deck for all you nerds. What's you know? that mean? Not exactly. You don't know. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: don't that that's not happening. Uh. Yeah, I like, I like, of all of the fan mags, like Netflix doesn't belong in there, but FanMag, they're, they're all great companies. They're all hard to extricate from your life. Facebook, Amazon could live without Facebook. Uh, probably can't live without Amazon. Can't live without Google. Can't live without Microsoft. Apple uh, probably can live without it, but don't really want to. Uh, you know I'm the missing.
0: discussion that I liked on Apple? Well, I guess then you got FanMag, so you got Netflix, but you already disqualified them. Fat man. man. I, like the new, I like Fat man. Fat better. man. Yeah, I should have yeah, gone, gone with that man one. One's good. Yeah. Um, good. The uh, oh, the Ben Thompson discussion with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. I thought that he articulated the Apple OS stickiness better than I have heard it articulated in the past. In that he said, like, basically, the phone is the smallest iteration of a of a screen, and like, what's the next? The, the you probably aren't going much smaller. Unless we start oh, to get into like chips in your house. Yeah. With that. no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. If chips get in your body, all bets are off. But as far as subject to the next big technological leap in that way, I did. I think that the way that he talked about the OS being the stickiest thing since Windows was something that I had not thought of before.
1: Why, why does he say it's so, so sticky?
0: It's just like the, they own the most important screen in your life. The screen's probably not going to get much smaller. So, for no
2: developer is going to be working on like some third OS that's not Android or
0: yeah or iOS, right? Like, there's no there's no one there.
1: The uh, via.
0: Yeah, well, that's possible. I mean, like, I people have said a lot of good things about Oculus. So I got to try one. I
1: I, uh, I I don't have an Apple phone. I use I use a Pixel phone, and I love it because. <laughs> Because it's the only one that, because their search is so much better.
0: <laughs> <such a> <laughs> so,
1: uh, the search is so much better. It understands my accent so I can talk to it. I talk to Apple and it doesn't understand what I'm saying.
0: Uh, you've already got a wife, so you don't need an apple to peacock, but. They look identical. The like if that days, was. It was important to have the apple on the on the table. Let people know I can afford this. I'm no pixel yeah, yeah, user. That's mine. My, my... <laughs> You're no pixel hobo. That's right. I've heard about those Pixel guys. They all have accents and (laughs) facial hair.
1: Let's talk about Tesla very quickly. Tesla's up fifty percent in the last five trading sessions. Um, I have been short Tesla in the past. Just, I know everybody already knows that. So, just, I have a little bit of bias. Just going to be upfront about that. But it just seems absolutely bananas to me that that I I don't know how it gets in. I mean, I've got Fat Man up on the screen, so I, I guess it's it's in that brace of names. And I guess people are just mashing the keyboard and like buying that along with everything else. But there's no way in the world that that company is anything like any of those other companies in there. I just, I frankly don't get it.
0: Well, that's because you look at things like free cash flow, sir. The most frustrating thing about Tesla is that Ross Gerber, who I know is not one of the ten, <laughs> sits there and shits all over Buffett, and then makes a ton of money on Tesla. It's just like so frustrating. I'm not
1: me. sure that he does. He has a he has some.
0: Shout out! You know who deserves it is my man uh, Vitali. How do I how do Vitali name? It's it's Vitali, right? Or yeah. Is it, yeah, yeah. That guy that guy deserves it, and I'm happy for him because that was not an easy leap for a guy that's publicly of value investor to come out and and take that position with the research that he did on that stock like he I am all in on supporting him Ross Gerber you get no such love
1: well, Ross is like to give Ross credit he has said in the past that when it trades down when it traded down he sold out like he's got some sort of sell discipline there based on I don't know exactly yeah. what it is I just noticed he had a tweet where he said something like that he did that.
0: tell people to trim that's true uh, I, I think he's done I, I
1: Ross gets a lot of heat and he, he, you know, he calls a lot of the heat on himself, but he—that's he, right.
0: That's why I dish it out.
1: That's fair. I mean, I'm just saying that he's he's a little bit less caricaturish, perhaps, than his Twitter might, might make you think. Because I do, I have seen him tweet out some things that I was like, "Yeah, that's 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 financial advice. That's proper 100%. financial advice."
0: He's just a troll, so I troll uh, him back. That's fair. You can troll. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: I'm very disappointed though to see, uh, the victory lap that. Elon seems to be doing. Uh, I mean, ah, do it. No, this I, is dude. You would taunting hate the SEC. Why there. don't we have? I don't like people flouting the rule of law like that. When is all of us, Everyone else.
1: What's what laws he breaking? Like so, we're talking about suck Elon's C, S Elon yeah. C.
2: Okay, that part is not necessarily. You're not even illegal, including that. No, that's just poor sportsmanship and not how the game should be played and not the example that you should be oh, setting
0: disagree, other people dude. you need heels in life I'm, I am was... I mean dude if he if he abided by the rules he wouldn't be what he is and if he if this is a Icarus trade and he falls then I'll point at him and say see nobody should have done it but if I was him you would hate me <laughs> I would be bragging like crazy you can win with class also though Dude, think of all the hate he takes. He's—it's um, not yeah. him. You want him to be a different guy. It's not who he is. Just right. treat him like a heel, like the guy that you hate. But you know, he's good for ratings. He's, you know.
1: I, I like.
2: No, uh, I, I want to like him. I want actually. I want him to inspire a whole new generation of kids to dream bigger. And a lot, of, I think, people do look up to him from like a you know science and like. There's a lot the of people Tony who start. Yeah. Type of. Uh, You know persona that he's sort of crafted so why not then take the next step of being classy about it and and then setting a good example for all those people and not being a dickhead about it it's not in his DNA
0: (laughs) come on It's it's not well let's aspire to be better than our DNA I would never want my kids to be Elon Musk I don't aspire to be him at all I'm just telling you who he is is the heel in my world and I'm saying we need heroes in a time
2: like now and that's not heroic behavior
0: yeah, well, no doubt, but that's why I go to Berkshire. Yeah, that's fair. I, I get it. I'm just,
2: I just want better for humanity, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, look, they're the Peter Kaufmans of the world. are not as visible as Elon Musk, right? So uh, that's, that's where we s- went wrong. <laughs> see, well, but he doesn't want it. You know what I mean? And like, he's the guy that deserves the adoration. But the most of the, in my experience, the guys that I admire are not people that most people know uh you know there's some that just got so successful that you can't help but be known but uh you know i don't know it's like my man tupac said all i want is money fuck the fame i'm a simple man (laughs) that's
2: fair
1: yeah i don't mind it when davy day trader does it yeah i think it's funny
0: I did, I was I was pissed at Elon over uh, the four twenty funding secured tweet. That was not cool. Yeah. Uh, You're not uh, a big fan didn't... of securities fraud. No, no, that I don't no. like. That's cool. But you know, this, this last that's a, stock that's a bold rip, take. This last stock rip I would uh I mean it turns out he should have we should have done to that those. deal. I know.
1: Four twenty. Is... That seems like an insanely low it's at fourteen hundred, it's a thousand dollars more.
2: Yeah. If you are today paying whatever $1,300, 1500 whatever the hell it is right now today. And how long ago was it? I think it was in... A little bit over a year. No, no. Two months ago, he said when the price was like at 700 like 50% ago, that yeah. it's too high. Yeah. Nothing has changed in the fundamentals. Did nowadays. he say
1: expensive or high?
2: The price is too high, I think was the exact yeah. quote. I don't Smoking know. Smoking something. What is... If you're... <laughs> The CEO of the company, who's all of it—well, a big chunk of his net worth—is determined on that number. Is telling you that it's probably too high, and now you're paying two x that, and you're just pretty happy about it.
1: Well, it's a momentum Boy. trade, right? It's one hundred percent. It's in that, like I was saying earlier, it's in that sawnet, Sornet wave right now. It's just—it's going vertical until it's not.
0: Well, and you never valley- go for sawnet. Full well, sorting. and, and Vitaly <laughs> put out on Twitter the other day, he was like, you're paying, like, I'm a bull also, but you're paying for a lot of the optimistic projections at this point. Like, that's, I I mean, I, you know, I really respect how he's gone about it and and told people, like, all right, you know, not not that I don't think he said I sold or anything, but he's like, maybe pump the brakes on the expectations. $250 billion is a lot to spend on a car company. Why don't they raise money? Not a car company, what, are they what, what are
1: they just go and buy? Why don't they go and buy Fiat?
2: Well, I, I don't know. I just, uh, buy all of your competitors. Like, you're already priced it yeah. way all of them. Yeah. And why are you carrying any debt at all when you can get the equity at this price?
1: Pay out the debt, pick up a competitor, raise a little bit of money, Dilute impregnable, ne- never
2: lose. Sheet with a bunch of fresh cash.
0: Yeah, I'd be issuing shares. Oh, hard. I'd be issuing shares if I was a lot of companies right now. Shopify. Oh, yeah. All of the shares. <laughs> I don't know shares go for Here's the here's the problem though. If you start to dilute your share I what I don't know about Shopify and what I have begun to appreciate more is how much share price can attract talent. And If you start to issue shares, what does your talent think? And 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 sort of like, if your share price goes down, what do your new hires do? You you could look further forward, haven't you? You could look stock-based compensation. Yeah, but and then you just rebase your options, and then investors say, "Oh, you're growing. We don't care about any of that anyway." But um, I don't know. I just, you know, I don't know how easy it is. It's maybe more easy to say in theory than reality.
1: Oh, I don't know how hard it is to do. I I, I think you got to think about the next five years, ten years.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, throw, you, throw your questions in. I've got a good one here. Uh, how come nobody focuses on David Sokol's new company, uh, ATCO, Atco? He built Mid-American Energy from zero and now has a public entity trying to do something similar. You guys know a little bit That's about that, don't not. you?
2: Who said we're not focusing on it? Yeah,
1: let's. We've talked about it before. Let's talk about it. Uh,
2: well, I, I don't know enough to speak super intelligently about it, so I should probably just shut up now. But it's it's interesting to me. Um, I think Sokol might have gotten a little bit of a raw deal there. Um, on his way out. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. It, uh, maybe like. Certainly, some punishment wasn't deserved, and but it feels like a little bit of a quick, uh, quick hook
0: there. Dang, but you talked to Charlie about that when you called him? <laughs> Were you like, "Yo, that Soko thing was messed up, boss"? <laughs> uh,
2: no, that didn't come up, but I, I probably should have because it's it's actually a good question. What happened there? But yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know he's obviously a talented operator. I mean, he. Mid American was a pretty pretty successful company that he put together, right, and did it for a long time. So it's not like he's some bozo. Uh, I know Fairfax is involved there financially. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to like. I think maybe a little still early though. Well, who gives a shit about natural resources right now? That that's, that's not that's like nothing. <laughs> the Buff Dog does.
1: Yeah. So let's talk True. about that. I got a question up about Berkshire's recent purchase. Let's do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have, like, particularly uh, good line of sight into Dominion. I, I have uh, some scuttlebutt that says that the assets are closer to demand pull than, uh, like, supply push. So if you think about it, they apparently uh, benefit when a utility— when people are using natural gas from the utility, they are transporting from storage to the utility— and then I guess the utility gets it to the people. Is that how it works, Jake? You're the energy guy, or the power uh, grid? I think so. I'm not sure if I followed how you work. My so like they are not. I'll just say yes. No, I think I think <laughs> that they are they are less subject to like random natural gas people just drilling and trying to shove gas into their pipes as opposed to like a toll ro- road on true demand gotcha. uh, that that is baked in. So it seems like the EBITDA, from what I've heard, is fairly bankable. And I i mean, I like all those assets. Natural natural gas transmission, to me, makes sense I as long as we continue to produce it, which the uh, energy reports seem to say that we're going to for the foreseeable future. The U.S. is the Saudi
1: can... Arabia of natural gas. I read that somewhere. Yes.
2: Yes. We can't afford to get off of it at this point. Not yet. Yeah, well, i'm just gonna
0: still take share from coal right and uh now i guess the less oil we drill like that's gonna take some gas out of the market because they're gassy wells and stuff but i i suspect he's gonna do fine on that transaction
1: what does it say about the range of expected outcomes that berkshire did it
0: It says to me that uh, if you think that Buffett's fairly smart, the energy MLP space might be a reasonably bombed-out place to play.
2: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable conclusion. I mean,
0: prices say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what did I, I read in Grants the other day? Uh, it might have been last night. Something about like uh, somebody said investors are uh, too fatigued to invest in energy anymore. Okay, that's intriguing. I don't know if it's true. But. Buy on fatigue. haven't heard that one. Yeah.
2: yeah. By that
1: measure, you should, you, should, what, that you? you should be all over Valley.
0: That's <laughs> old school stuff. What's that tell You should be
1: all over Valley.
2: Because it's tired AF.
1: It, it is so tired, Valley. Oh, my God. Deep Valley. Fatigued. <laughs> it is
2: fatigued.
1: Um. Need some some more questions in here, fellas. Uh...
0: Yeah, it says there is real investor fatigue around this parade of legal and regulatory headwinds to energy projects. So, okay. It sounds like if there's uh, that many headwinds, maybe there will be fewer projects uh, funded. And if there's fewer projects funded, yeah, yeah. If you, like, believe in that stuff. My antenna went up when I read that.
1: So I got one about, uh, will I be using the G-score? Uh, I think the G-score is really, really interesting. I, I wouldn't necessarily use exactly that formulation, but uh, possibly because you've got to pay royalties to the pe- person who put that together. If you want to use that, I might use my own formulation of that. But I'm not going to do it at this point in the cycle. This is a value time in the cycle. You want to be loading the boat with value.
2: was G-score time. Huh? That's right.
1: That's right. You want to you want to be, I think you want to be countercyclical cyclical in the market. You don't want to be trying to, G-Score is probably going to be the best out of every part of that uh, decile over the next decade, but I just think that's a very, very tough decile to be in for the next decade. Value, just you could be the world's worst value investor and do pretty well over the next decade. I I'm probably going to show people how that works.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What about uh, as just sort of a a hedge for you over the, if it's like, if this takes two more years... Yeah. I need a little G score mixed in in the meantime. Even though I know it's going to hurt on the 10 year, I got to survive the two years.
0: Yeah. Mm. That's... Now we're talking style drift for career risk purposes. Or, or,
1: or it's like business insurance, business hedge. Real.
2: Wow. It's real, though. Look at look at every value portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> that's right.
1: It's a business hedge, right? Uh, I, I wouldn't do that because I just think that, you, that there's a chance to be uh, kind of. I don't want to say heroic, that's the wrong word, but there's a, there's a chance to kind of you know make a name by being the value guy when the market turns, and so that's what that's what I'm trying to do here. I don't want to like muddy the I'm what not going to put a,
2: options or something just for like buy yourself two years worth of time if that was to
0: dude, why are you trying to make my man style drip? Jeez, <laughs> I, I, can't like I can't do it I can't do it right it's just it's Shredding. it's against
1: my DNA it's just against my DNA to do it yeah. I can. I,
0: my kid, my kid is outside my window running with a hose between his legs. It caught me off guard. It looked like he was well endowed and not that's, wearing pants. That's not a hose. <laughs> sorry, Toby. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's a, trying to make you style drift. Another
1: good question. Uh, how did value do during the disruption of railroads? No data. So that's the that's the analog. uh Another oh, no, sort of that's not the roads is the is the analog. Yeah. Value's done okay uh, following every little boom. I think railroads were about 1825. It was Vanderbilt coming off the steamships. They decided they should put a steamship on rails. I forget the exact run, but it was like some Albany, something like that. Uh, very, very interesting period. I'm reading a book about it right now. i got four other books on the same period to get through, and then I'll, I'll come and give my book report to everybody on, <laughs> on that time
0: isn't isn't the answer most likely going to be that there are periods in history where things everything looks like it's going to change and everything looks rosy and people naturally pile into that and then because of that there are assets that are forgotten and lo and behold once the change of history is not what people projected the assets that were forgotten outperformed like isn't that sort of yes when we we expect the data to be that
1: yes but this time might be different
2: yeah, yes, I mean... yeah, The the difference is, Rosie isn't even in the cards. Like, look at the unemployment number. Like, <laughs> we're not... you could, I tell you, twenty nineteen. You could have told me that that might have been true.
0: Dude, I'll tell you what's tough is like you look at how all of this is flaring up in in places, and I get that deaths are not up, and it's skewing younger and all that stuff, but the. It seems to me that the the reason that the southern states are flaring up is because people are inside right now. I would suspect that the northern states are going to do some of the same when people go back inside. And like, if you got to quarantine for two weeks, like I was talking to my mom. My mom's in Arizona. Illinois said if you come here, you got to quarantine for two weeks. How, like, how are people going to travel? Then any discretionary travel that you may have had that's interstate or sort of north to south that's going to go under, like in, in Chicago, if you can't be inside, how are businesses going to operate at all in the winter? Like, I just think there's going to be, and I understand the market's forward looking. I get, we've been through that. I understand that it was, that was the March sell off and we were down 35%. Now you got to think 18 months. I get it all. It's just hard for me to process. Well, have, and it's hard have, for me to see square that like, data
1: with California. So California, you know, basically you're outside all the time. Um, cases like i think today when i checked the data it was like the largest number of cases on a single daily basis that we've seen and the deaths are six so the deaths are as low as they have been since march 22 i think i had to run it back to look so i think there's something very odd happening with that data they're clearly bundling in with it uh the new tests that they've found where somebody's had it previously and they're not currently sick There are some states that do seem to be struggling a little bit, so I don't know what causes that. Maybe, maybe you just got to get to twenty percent. Once you get to twenty percent of people who've had it, for some reason it can't then pass on. So New York's kind of there, and it looks like they've just about conquered it. California's getting there. States that haven't got there, and in Australia, which like they just didn't let anybody in, so nobody really got sick but now they're having a real second wave and i just think it's because they've got no immunity to it it's just got to burn through and uh, the the objective of flattening the curve is just so that we don't overwhelm the, the hospitals and things like that and so to the extent that we can do that but otherwise you know there's kind of no way of avoiding this thing it's it's going to be like the fluid comes around once a year probably so to shut everything down again i think is suicide
0: well i i agree with that i just don't know that uh I I don't know. We'll see. I I just think that uh you know, well, it you're was not, you're not going it was to a easy,
2: restaurant anytime soon, right? And you're not, not gonna if I gotta going to be in inside. winter time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I so, just I mean I just won't. But I also have high blood pressure, even though I appear to be a pretty calm guy. So I'm not trying to die over this shit cuz I needed well, a steak. I'll just cook it at home. <laughs> isn't that one it's of probably the why I have high things. blood pressure. Even if you weren't to die though, some of these stories I read
2: about the longer tale of lasting
0: fake problems. news
2: they're just really? trying to scare know. You. like rudy gobert still like doesn't have a sense of smell months <laughs> later uh i don't really want that
0: i, I don't know i just feel like yeah
2: you would maybe this is swing
0: taste. of course i could give up smells if like if i never had to smell myself again i'd be totally fine with that But the taste thing, I would be bothered by.
1: As much as I'd like to continue down this track.
0: No, this is really, I'm sure we have like zero eyeballs now. We're
1: we're right on time. So uh, thanks, folks. It's a cracking episode. We'll see you next week.
0: (laughs) Shake it up, stop when the clock, hits 13 Sing 1, 2, 3, 4 Cause cuz cuz No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it